Hello, and welcome to another Veterinary Team Training Podcast. My name is Amy Newfield, and I'm both the host and owner of Vet Team Training. Check out my website at vetteamtraining.com. Today, I want to talk about sustainability in the veterinary profession. I recently did a rant about this, and I understand that it's a hot-button topic, so I thought I would dive into it just a little bit more. So several times a year, I get asked this question, and sometimes it's a written interview, sometimes a verbal interview, or sometimes someone just picks my brain, um, you know, from another hospital or a company, and they ask me the following question, Amy, what is it going to take in order for the veterinary profession to be sustainable? And it's a very reasonable question to ask because I think right now we're at a tipping point like I've never seen before. We've always been in a shortage of veterinary professionals. There, since the dawn of time, at least since I've entered this industry in the 90s, I've never worked in a veterinary hospital where we weren't short-staffed. We were primarily only short-staffed veterinary technicians and veterinary assistants, but now you're actually seeing it very commonplace to be super short-staffed even with veterinarians. And when we look at just sort of the staggering statistics in the industry as far as education goes, you can start seeing school closures in the veterinary technician schools about five to seven years ago. And that was a first because up until that time, veterinary technician schools were opening up all over the place. And particularly in the last five years, there have been dozens of veterinary technician schools that have closed. And you wonder why they've closed. It's simple. People are not enrolling in the programs, so therefore they're no longer financially feasible to maintain. If you only get 10 students per semester enrolled and you can take up to 75, you can't maintain that school program. So unfortunately, they closed. And so when we look at overall sustainability, this becomes a very large concern if we don't have graduates coming out of schools, well then who's gonna fill these positions in our hospitals? As far as small animal veterinarian, it's the debate is still out there as to whether or not there's a true shortage, whether or not it's perceived or not perceived. But regardless, anecdotally, it feels like there's a shortage all the time. And again, when we start using the word sustainability, it becomes really scary if you know, we even have 10 or 20% less veterinary technicians coming out of our colleges. Well, we were already in a shortage prior to that when we had full numbers of students coming out of colleges. So that 10 to 20% is going to impact us even harder. And obviously, I hate using the word, but I'm going to do it. We're in unprecedented time, kids, right? Like, I just want to get through this unprecedented time so I can feel like I have built up a lot of resiliency and I have a story to tell younger generations. At this point, we're still very much in it. It's so raw. But it is true that we're in this time frame that's rocking and shaking the entire industry. We are seeing burnout rates at a rate I have never seen before. And I've talked a little bit on my vlogs and my blogs and my podcasts, right? How many acronyms do we need um, for various things that we do in social media world? But I've talked about how the burnout is not just at our workplace environment anymore. It's also in our home life. And so going home no longer serves as a reprieve from work when we've got to deal with kids at home, the stress of the pandemic, uh, family members who potentially are sick, and this pandemic fatigue that we're all experiencing is very real. It's really made a lot of individuals kind of look at 
what is important and what is not important in life. And so the acceptance to take on the daily stress of veterinary medicine and all that it's going to throw in you, the threshold on there is way lower. Like I'm not going to deal with that freaking poop anymore. You know, I'm just not literally probably not don't want to deal with the poop, but you know what I'm saying? I'm trying not to curse. You know what I'm saying? I, your, your threshold for the tolerance of proverbial poop is so low right now because you've got bigger fish to fry that people are walking off the job. They're quitting. They're reevaluating their life. And so when we talk about sustainability, we have to talk about multiple facets of it. So let's just dive into what's always been there and the driver of why we went into this industry. So the driver of why we went into this industry, I will never change my answer, is simple. We love and resonate with pets a lot more than people. And so that sustains us all the time. That that never burns me out. I still get a kick to this day about seeing something sick and making it better and you know for me obviously I really click with with emergency medicine so trauma patients when they come in and they look like they're going to die and I have even the smallest hand in helping that pet wow that's an adrenaline rush that's amazing I don't I always have that that's always going to sustain me so that part of the sustainability piece never changes because the medicine's always cool it's always interesting things are always changing and evolving keeping my interest peaked and that's awesome but when we dive into the sustainability of the other pieces of, of the veterinary profession. It's really simple what, what needs to happen and what needs to change in order for us to have a sustainable profession. It's this. You need good salary, good benefits, and a healthy workplace environment. That's it. That's those, the, those are the things. And I wish it was that simple, right? Because if it was, we'd all be much happier. And our tolerance for the proverbial poop would probably increase a little bit more. And the clients maybe that aren't happy with us or things like that, we tolerate that more because our we would feel like our salary was justified in dealing with it. There's things that you're willing to tolerate as long as the other things are okay. And that's like that in every industry, right? So there's just these thresholds at which we're willing to tolerate some unpleasantries in our job because mostly the sustainability piece has been taken care of. And so what this podcast is not going to be is telling you exactly what everyone needs to get paid in order for us to be sustained, right? Because that I'm not going to dive in. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole, but I do think it needs to be improved upon. You know, I started off in the 90s and my salary was $6.50 an hour. And I know for some of you, you're thinking, my God, how did you survive? These are good questions. It was really, really freaking tough. But I know a lot of you understand that already. Now, if you take my $6.50 an hour and you put it into an inflation calculator, what you will find is that in today's rate, that would equate to $11 an hour. And so a lot of you are saying, hey, that's what I actually started at this year as a credentialed, I've gone to school and graduated veterinary technician. Yeah. It's really sad. So despite 20-something years of being in this profession, the starting salaries of veterinary technicians who are credentialed coming out of school are largely unchanged. 
And that is really, really disappointing. And so we need to figure out how do we sustain this profession if we're not willing to even budge on the salaries. You see, inflation just takes account of things going up. But what it doesn't take account for is you having a better ability to financially afford things. And so when we talk about sustainability, we really need to figure out how can a credentialed veterinary technician who has school debt be able to afford to live on their own? Now, what about our veterinarians? So the average veterinarian has school debt of over $160,000. That's insane. And when we look at their starting salaries, it ranges anywhere from about $75,000 to up to $90,000. Now, it seems like it's a great amount of money, but when you have $160,000 or more of student loan debt, how are you going to pay that off? So I bring up salary as one of the trifecta of the three things that need to be focused on for sustainability if we really want to make this a sustainable career. When we're looking at individuals who have to live at home with their parents because they can't afford to live on their own or they've got so much school debt it's almost impossible in a lifetime to get out of it, why are people going into this industry? And that's what people are asking themselves. Why would I go into an industry where I'm going to be broke my whole life? And it's such a heartbreaking industry because, of course, we are faced with this debt and this financial burden that we've taken on because of our love of animals. And then we're met with the clients who believe that we're money grubbing. We all drive Porsches. That's just not true. That's not a thing. But that's how the a lot of the consumers actually view us. And, and it breaks our heart because we know we're struggling and we can't afford to make ends meet. And yet, for some reason, they think that we're out to stick it to them and get every dime and penny we can so that we can all go back to our mansion. So I'm going to tread very lightly here because I don't want to call any individual or hospital group or anything as being particularly bad or good in anything. But there are some industry movers and shakers. And I like when people think outside the box. I hate using the word disruption when people are like, oh, we're disrupting the industry. I think of disruption as something that's negative and certainly we want the industry to move forward. So I, I guess I could see this as a disruptor, but it's not really disrupting as it is benefiting. So for one particular company, just recently in the last couple of months, they've done a heavy amount of advertising about their nurse elevation program. And this is a, a key concept that a lot of hospitals have. I, it, you know, Some people call them technician levels or whatever that looks like. So they look at your licensing, your education, your skills, and your knowledge. And then as you move up sort of this elevated ladder system, you get compensated more. I've talked about this in my book. This is a key concept to just good business. And so why they've made the news is because they claim that at some of the top tier in some of their practices, you can actually make up to $42 an hour. Now that's game-changing money for any veterinary technician. When you hear the words $40 an hour or even $30 an hour, any veterinary technician would be like, what do I got to do? What is anybody? Tell me what I got to do. Do I got to stick my hand in a menstrual place or on something? I don't care. Um, I don't care if I have to just deal with maggots all day long. I'm willing to pick maggots out of wounds all day long for $42 an hour. So it is totally game-changing money. And I applaud them for thinking outside the box in a way 
where they're advertising the importance of credentialing, education, and tying it to salary. I think that's amazing. So I love that. And then there's a few other business models and even uh, hospital owners that I've talked to recently about how they're trying to shake things up and think outside the box by really offering credentialed veterinary technicians the opportunity to earn a percentage based off of veterinary procedures that they do. And so they're utilizing their technicians more, which is amazing, right? And we're starting to see this concept even in large companies where veterinary technicians are really taking on the role of almost a nurse practitioner, uh, vaccinating pets. You know, the veterinarian may come in and just quickly do an exam. But in some facilities, even the technician now is starting to become the one to just do the actual physical exam and be the one to vaccinate as long as there's a veterinarian on hand, if there's an issue or, or whatever that looks like. And so it's obviously controversial, but I like the thinking outside the box method. Now, in some of these organizations where they have veterinary technicians doing more, they're not necessarily increasing their salary, though they are seeing an increase in business. And so that's a struggle for me. If you can directly tie an increase in revenue to a veterinary technician's salary, then why is the veterinary technician not getting paid more, especially if the veterinarian gets paid a percentage based off of the revenue they have brought in, right? So that's the struggle. But I do know of facilities that are starting to do that where, you know, more and more they're utilizing their technicians and really pushing the boundaries of what they have the ability to do. And they're tying, they have a, a decent base salary, but then this ability to earn even more on top of that. And so I, I think it's an interesting model and only obviously time will tell. But we're Regardless, we do need to think about increasing salaries across the board for every member of the team. And yes, I'm going to put them in there. Those poor front desk people, right? I mean, they are paid the least and they get pooped on the most. And I'm going to put it out there because it's not, they're not in a sustainable career. We see it. They have the highest turnover. Uh, they get abused in the veterinary hospital. They get chewed up and spit out and thrown to the wolves. And what people do not factor into their payroll budgets and their large big business <laughs> figures is that every time we lose 10, 15, 20 people from the front office, it costs the hospital more money. So we do need to look at sustainability for those individuals in terms of salary. They have to be able to live too. And whatever that looks like, whether or not we have them in our hospitals as a career trajectory into a veterinary assistant, veterinary technician, whatever that looks like, we do need a true career path for them and we need better salaries. We just do because they are in one of the hardest roles in the hospital. They're very forward facing and that's often the first impression that clients get. So sustainability, again, focusing on salary. And then the second thing that I mentioned is benefit, right? We have to have good, decent benefits. Our veterinary professionals, every facet of the hospital shouldn't have to worry about paying exorbitant healthcare fees. Ultimately, if someone is injured on the job because they're injured by a dog or a cat in a capacity that they can't work for some time, they shouldn't think, oh my goodness, I don't actually have short-term disability or even long-term disability where I can't afford now to pay my mortgage or my rent or whatever that looks like or even feed my kids. But unfortunately, a lot of healthcare benefits for veterinary workers are just that. If they are injured on the job to a point where they can't actually perform their duties in a short amount of time, 
the compensation they receive is is not enough to sustain them in terms of living appropriately. Oftentimes the main focus is on healthcare as the primary benefit that needs to make sure that it's good. But I want you guys to think outside the box because again, we're talking about sustainability. Now let's look at the profession, at least here in the United States. The stats are, are amazing. I just pulled them and actually, if you're not aware, in the 1970s, it was 90% male-driven workforce for veterinary professions. In the 1980s, in the late 1980s, it started to make a flip. And now currently we're looking at 80 to 90% women in the veterinary industry who are driving the workforce. That's incredible difference in just a short amount of time. Here's the other thing that goes along with this. I don't know if you're aware, so I'm just going to clue you in. Women have babies. They have babies. And if you have a workforce that has 80 to 90% women, you need to account for benefits that allow women to have babies and then return to the job. And that's where we fail as a profession because for so many veterinary technicians and assistants and for our client service representatives and for even some of our veterinarians, once they have a baby, it is cheaper to stay home rather than come back to work. And so we as veterinary leaders in in management or owners of hospitals, when we say, where is everybody? Well, I'm sorry, we didn't provide them any daycare benefits. We didn't provide them uh, even paid maternity leave. So they're going to stay home because it's cheaper for them than to pay daycare. They actually make more money staying home than paying daycare and coming to work. And when you think about it on that level, it's crazy. We can't even get that right. So we need to think about those types of benefits. But then I want you to challenge and think about other types of benefits. Why are we not helping our individuals be healthier by including gym memberships or even uh, ways to pay for transportation if we have hospitals in major cities? Why are we forcing them to take their paycheck and pay for modes of transportation or pay for high parking rate? How can we help add benefits into our packages that are really going to sustain the entire profession? And benefits that look at the profession as a whole and the workforce and the workforce needs. So we really need to look at how can we help the entire person with those benefits, continuing education. The list goes on and on if we really want the best associates in our hospitals and sustaining those individuals for a lifetime career in veterinary medicine. And then there's that final piece of the puzzle, which is creating a healthy workplace environment. And, you know, it goes beyond decreasing the gossiping, the negativity, the bullying, the hazing that runs rampant in so many veterinary hospitals, though that is a big part of it. We do need to focus in on that and we have to reshape the mindset of individuals who are so negative and really work on the burnout rates and the compassion fatigue. All of that's really important. But a healthy workplace environment goes beyond that. And I think this pandemic has sort of brought this all to light, which is that our case counts are sky high for the staff that we currently have in our hospital. We were all short before this pandemic in terms of staffing, and now it's really come to a head. 
We have the pandemic puppies and the COVID kittens that have come into our hospital at a rate that we cannot keep up with, which unfortunately has put a demand on already a lean staff. Now in human nursing, we've got patient nurse ratios. In veterinary medicine, no such thing exists. And so we struggle in veterinary medicine How many patients are too many patients for a veterinary technician? What does that look like? How many surgeries really is too many surgeries for a veterinarian? What does that look like? Can we squeak an emergency surgery in during the day or is that going to burn our veterinarian out? How many calls can really come into a veterinary hospital before the front desk loses their mind, right? So we don't have anything as far as metrics in veterinary medicine, but we need to start having this conversation. What is an appropriate patient to technician ratio? How many cases can a doctor really see? And we need to stop looking at the financial picture and we need to start looking at the human picture because we are at a crisis in veterinary medicine where this profession is not sustainable. We cannot keep thinking that we can keep up this pace and still be human at the end of the day. And I think that that's just one part of what creates a healthy workplace environment. But there's so many other factors. Technician utilization. It drives me absolutely batty when I talk to hospitals where the veterinarians are the ones placing the IV catheter or inducing the patient under general anesthesia. I'm sorry, that's a credential veterinary technician's job. (laughs) So stop doing it because we're not allowed to do your profession. So please stay out of ours. And I know that sounds really snobbish, and for some veterinarians who are listening to this, you might take offense to that, but the problem is when you stop allowing your veterinary technicians to do the job that they went to school for, that they're credentialed and skilled and knowledgeable for, you actually devalue them as a professional. And I don't want to hear about how, well, I have to do it all myself because I don't trust my veterinary technician or assistant team. I'm sorry then we need to build up their knowledge, build up their skills so that you do trust them. Because otherwise, what's the point of having them on staff if they can't work to their full potential? It really does devalue them. And a lot of veterinary technicians and assistants actually leave the profession entirely because they figure, I'm just a glorified restrainer or I'm just a glorified kennel assistant. That's not why I'm in this business. And so technician utilization is really key as well. And that plays into a healthy workplace environment. To me, a healthy workplace environment isn't just about the negativity and the no gossiping. It's about everything that's going to make your job happier within that, that hospital. So it's the patient counts. It's the clientele. It's the leadership to veterinary associate relationship that we have. What does all of that look like? It's a huge component of it. And so we could fix the salary, we could fix the benefits, but if we're burning our staff out because, I don't know, it's a 15 to one patient to technician ratio, or we are expecting a surgeon to bang out 10 TPLOs in one day, that's not sustainable. It's not even humane. And these are the bigger things that we need to address in veterinary medicine. We have to start, even whether or not it be a small veterinary hospital to a big veterinary hospital, having these discussions so that we can have a sustainable, healthy veterinary profession because it's not right now and it's breaking my heart because I love this field, I love this industry, 
but we need to fix it because we can't keep this up. It's not okay. And I think that one of the things that has really come out in the pandemic has been this. It is glaringly obvious that it's quite broken. Our shift now needs to be focused on the person, the veterinary professional. It has to be a people first movement and that needs to be the focus and that needs to be what the pandemic has taught us. We need to have well-being programs in every single one of our veterinary hospitals. And we think about well-being programs, we think about yoga, but it's much more than that. It's about taking care of the overall individual. It's about making sure that their mental health is okay. We need to reduce that stigma too, because when you say mental health, you immediately think that person's crazy. And that's not a thing. We've all struggled with mental health. Mental health and mental illness are two totally different things. I have suffered with mental health. Every single person has had depressed, multiple depressed days, days where you're so sad you don't even want to function. Everybody probably at this point has knows what anxiety is because if you didn't know what it was before the pandemic, well, you were introduced to it during the pandemic. We all have anxiety. It's something that all we all deal with. And yet when we talk about it, we feel shame and guilt and we need to stop that. And our wellness programs really need to focus about reducing that stigma. We should be able to feel comfortable to say to the colleagues that we have in our veterinary hospital, I'm not okay today, or I'm feeling really depressed. And we don't feel like they're going to look at us sideways or immediately think, that's it. I'm going to have to check them into a psych ward. That's not a thing. It's not a thing. We need to have a better conversation just around reducing the stigma of mental health because we have all struggled with it. And we have to accept that. Our wellness program needs to not only reduce the stigma of mental health conversations, but it needs to help build up the support for the burnout and the compassion fatigue and focus on reducing suicide across not only in our hospital, but across the entire profession. Every single hospital has the power to create a wellness program within their hospital that goes beyond just, you know, yoga and here's some food for you but really truly taking care of the whole person and what that looks like. So I challenge you, let's shake up the industry. If you're in a leadership role, a management role, or you have influence over any one of these things, take the thing that you have influence over. Now, if you're a veterinary technician, a veterinarian, a client service representative, upfront, a kennel assistant, of whatever that is, whatever your position is, every single person automatically has some influence over the health and well-being of their team. You do. You absolutely do. So take that as your initiative. If you're someone in a leadership role who has the ability to change and influence salary and benefits, then focus on that. Put your energy in that. And if we can all tackle these tiny little bits together, that's what makes up the big pieces, right? We don't need to tackle them all at once. We need to tackle them one at a time. Because when you look at the whole picture, you realize the whole system's broken and it's overwhelming and you don't see a way to fix it. Just take one of these things, focus your energy on it. Six months to a year from now, shift that energy and go tackle another issue. It's not easy, but if you're in those roles, I'm imploring to you right now that this profession is in a crisis and we need those individuals who have direct influence over those things to start working on them because without it, this is not a sustainable profession.
Thank you so much for listening. Please check out all my other blogs and podcasts at vetteamtraining.com and keep on being a unicorn. (laughs) 